The Sisters of the Islamic Center of Bloomington invite you to explore hijab from a personal perspective. We want to share the importance of hijab, why we choose to wear it, and what it means to us, in the hopes that by listening to our stories, you will come to better understand who we are as Muslims, women, and humans. The Hijabi Diaries. Muslim women speaking for themselves. You're listening to The Hijabi Diaries. I'm Aubrey Cedar. Today on the podcast, we are speaking to our dear friend, Autumn. Autumn is a teacher. She's also a Muslim convert, and she's from Indianapolis, Indiana. She currently lives in Bloomington. So we're going to talk to her today about her experiences as a teacher. Obviously, Autumn is so much more than that, and she shared so many great stories with us, so we will check back in with her on later episodes to hear about her life and specifically the journey that brought her to Islam. All right. Correctly the first time. <laughs> um, so, what's your name? My name is Autumn. I recorded with Autumn in the Islamic Center of Bloomington in the Women's Masjid. She has a very laid-back style, a dry wit, and is often accompanied by a large cup of coffee. Well, you're a teacher. We were just talking about you're a teacher. I am a teacher. I'm from Indianapolis, but I've been living in Bloomington for... I lived here for like six years mm-hmm. for, for college, and then I went abroad for a while. Then I came back. Autumn gained a lot of teaching experience doing her studies abroad in Japan. And then, after graduating from the IU School of Education, she moved to Korea, where she continued to teach. I graduated from the education school here at IU, and I did, the Japan was part of a joint, like, program with them for my student teaching, so I didn't have to do my student teaching here for kindergarten. Mm -hmm. I ended up going to Japan for three months, Mm -hmm. and I actually ended up, I had a friend who was, uh, well, my best friend, her sister was Mm -hmm. teaching in Korea, so since I was already in Japan, she came one week and stayed in Japan with me. And then we went to go visit her sister in Korea for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I love Korea so much that I just, when you I graduated, I went back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, really I love awesome. Japan too, but Korea is much cheaper to live in. And the language is better. Do you speak Korean? I'm all right. Like proficient? Or just I would say I was long. like I was like conversational when okay. I was in Korea. Now that I'm back here, I've been back here for more than a year now. I'm I've lost a little bit more about it, but I was doing pretty good when I was in Korea. Autumn is an early childhood educator. To keep her identity confidential, we can't tell you where she works, but she mostly works with kids in the pre-kindergarten age range. For me, I think younger kids are you know, more innocent and, you know, they don't, I don't know, they have something about them that draws me to them, I guess. They're kind of just learning things at that age and I think we have a big part for like molding them into being good people. Mm-hmm. But once you, they're old, older, they're kind of already cemented in some of their ways and it's mm-hmm. harder to break them of bad habits. So I like working with the younger ages and you know research backs it too like zero to age eight is the most important time in a child's life working closely with kids and their families from early on in a child's life autumn gets to see children's mental and emotional development from a perspective that not many of us get to experience you know maybe 
because the program I work with is low income. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the parents are like in heavy poverty. Um, The kids see a lot of, you know, bad situations at home. And like what kind of stuff? You know, there's a a lot of domestic violence, drug use, uh, you know, just not very healthy relationships between parents, you know, uh, fathers not being there, just kind of yo-yoing back and forth or, you know, having uh, a lot of different people in the house or some of them are in and out of foster care, you know, you don't really know who we're going to get, but I mean, I've seen uh, a lot of issues and some of them are worse than others, but most of them have seen at least a few things that are just, like, not very good for a child's emotional state. I mean, kids know a lot of things anyways. They pick up on the tiniest things ever. So, um, yeah, I see them definitely, you know, noticing certain things. And it's kind of weird, but kind of not thinking about what they're going through because they they know that people treat them differently. I mean, I see it with um, African-American students a lot. I mean... I've seen a lot of African-American girls, especially, they, like, kind of think they're ugly. Or they will, they don't want to play with, like, the black baby doll. One girl was like, I'm, you know, I'm ugly. And she wants to be like someone else. But, you know, we, we have to just keep reiterating people are different. And it's not ugly. It's not pretty. Like, everyone is just different and unique. But I I see those things, and I think it's more, you know, society, what you're being taught outside. Autumn is obviously coming to all of these issues and to all of these children as a teacher first, but then also as a hijabi. And I don't mean to suggest that her judgment or her life is completely wrapped around her religion, because that is just not true. In fact, most of the religious people that I encounter that work in education, Autumn included, do their very best to separate their personal religious beliefs from their time in the classroom with their students. The separation of church and state is as much a fundamental American value as it is the law of the land. So I'm not saying that any of what Autumn believes is communicated to her students, so much as it is that she can only see the world out of her own two eyeballs. We are all, to a certain extent, unable to separate our individual identities from our professional lives. This is even less possible if parts of your identity are indicated by something that is impossible to hide, like the color of your skin or a hijab. Autumn is a Muslim in a tumultuous political and social time. This part of her identity, even if it is only one part, affects how she lives, and it affects how others see her. Autumn is also a teacher at a time in her students' lives when they are growing rapidly, and she cares immensely for every one of them. And as she experiences prejudice and hatred against herself at varying levels of frequency, she sees her students just starting to comprehend how we in America like to separate ourselves from each other based on perceived differences. The indicators that these societal messages are sinking into the malleable little psyches of Autumn's young students come in many different forms. Young children's encounters with Autumn and her hijab can be filled with innocent curiosity and celebration. Little kids, they don't really have a concept like, what is a Muslim person? Like, they don't know what it is. Most kids don't even know, like, what 
what this, you know, what is hijab? Like, what am I wearing? Do they ask you about it? Sometimes. Sometimes they just totally ignore it. They just, like, accept (laughs) it as, like, it is what it is. And then other times, you know, the kids will ask me what it is. And then they just accept your explanation immediately most Mm -hmm. of the time. All right. And a lot of, like, a lot of kids love it. They tell me they like it. A lot of the girls, they'll say it's pretty. Yeah. Especially, like, you know, these are, like, sparkly and stuff. They're like, oh, I like that. Oh, yeah. And a few times I've had the kids, like, pretend to wear one because I'll have scarves just in the dramatic play area or something. Or one of the parents told me once that the her daughter was putting on her shirt and she um, had her, like, shirt over her head, but her head was just in the hole. And she was like, hi, Miss Autumn, <laughs> you know, because she got stuck. Yeah. So it's just, they're just, like, innocent about it. And then there are children who come to school speaking in ways that Autumn feels don't so much reflect on them, but on what is being said at home. Like, I was subbing in a room last week, and one of the kids came up to me, and he was like, I'm not where you're from. And I was just like, okay, where do you think I'm from? And he was just like, I'm just not where you're from. You're like, you know. And I was like, I'm from Indiana. Where are you from? Somebody must have told him that because, like, why would he even, you know, have that in his mind? Um, And then if they... There's only been, like, one instance where a kid was, like, saying, you know, like, why do you wear that? You should take it off and you should do this. Like, a lot of times they want to see my hair, which I just show them because I'm like, all right, if you really want to see it. And then they're, they're just like, oh, all right. And they just move on, but... Most of the time, they don't really have any concept of what it is, what it means. You know, at this age, across the board, with any child in any religion, they don't really know what religion is, you know? It's just kind of like something you do. It's more of a social thing. Like, they go to church maybe and play with their friends, and that's what they associate Mm -hmm. with church. But, like, the concept of God and stuff is very abstract and kind of big. And you don't start to get an understanding of that until you're much older, I think. Autumn talks to me about how she sees young Muslim children deal with prejudice and exclusion directed at them by others. And I think if you're a kid especially, it can be really hard because most of the time they can be okay, but if they're with parents who look visibly Muslim, like they'll get you know more of a reaction than if they were just kids playing out. So, <clears throat> I mean, I think kids, they know. And they see things, and their parents try to shelter them from it. But at some point, like, especially when they get into elementary school and stuff, like, kids start teasing them. Because, like I said, kids are sponges, and they pick up everything their parents do. So if they hear any kind of, like, anti-Muslim talk at home, they pick it up. They pick up, like, slurs that they want to say, and they, like, tease children. And I've heard a few parents in the community here say they have tons of problems with bullying with their kids. And... You know, I don't really see that that much in preschool because they're still so young and they don't really understand much in in that in that way. But <clears throat> when it's elementary school, it gets a bit more complicated. And it's hard, especially for kids who are trying to be a part of the community. And they consider themselves a part of the community. I mean, hell, they're born here. <laughs> and they've lived here their whole lives. They're American as anyone else. But then they have someone else telling them that they're not and that they're terrorists and they're going to blow some stuff up. And, 
you know, for a kid, it's like, they don't know what that is, you know, know, other than, yeah, they just know that someone hates them. I think here of Miriam, who we interviewed in a previous episode, and the story that she told us about the time that her son was excluded on a popular Bloomington playground because a little boy's parents didn't want their son playing with those kind of people. Miriam cited this event as one of the reasons she had started feeling less and less safe in the United States. By the way, Miriam did actually end up moving back home to Morocco with her family. And I think it's pretty sad that there's like grown people, like grown adults out there wishing death on like kids or harm. I mean, that's what scares me the most. Like I like I try to stay away from all the common areas on, on like articles and stuff because like people are murderous and violent and they're yeah, we had to turn our we turn our comment section off because there's no way I'm Oh I'm my god. Yeah, it was it's so bad and like depressing and I think, you know, we have a, a problem with Islamophobia here. But the scarier thing is that there's people out there like that and they're walking amongst us, but they're just, like, not very outward with their feelings. But they could just, like, one day just lose it and you don't know who it is. I mean, like, I like I went to Monroe Lake, mm-hmm. like, a month ago. And it was not crowded at all. Actually, there was maybe only six people there. And somehow, from the time I got, like, from my car to the lake and back to my car, someone had keyed it. And there were only, like, six people out there. And that's the kind of stuff that's the most creepy, I think. Is a lot of people, there, I think there's more people who are, you know, anti-Islam and anti-Muslim than we think. And we can kind of ignore it most of the time. But, like, there's, like, those little instances where, like, people are, like, mean-mugging you real hard. Or... Crap like that, or they key yeah. your car, or you know, yell something as they drive by. And damage sometimes, yeah. depending on how they do it. He did it pretty bad. <laughs> I was like so upset. My husband was like, you know, whatever, we're fine, doesn't matter. I asked Autumn if she's ever afraid that some of the kids she teaches will grow up to hate her because she's a Muslim. Definitely, she says. Definitely, I think about it sometimes because. Some of the parents are, at the beginning of the year, you know, they're a little bit uncomfortable when they see me. They're like, uh, what's this? Because when they get my information, like, my name is Autumn Mitchell, and I call them, and I'm like, hello, my name's Autumn, I'm your child's teacher, and they're hearing my voice, and I have no accent at all. You know, for them, like, first impression in their mind, I'm white. You know, a white girl's coming. You're a white and you're from the Midwest. Yes. Your accent, yeah. Yes. So I come and I am white and I am from the Midwest, but because I'm, you know, wearing a scarf, they're like totally weirded out and they like cannot understand. So it's a little bit awkward at first, but thankfully, you know, by the end of the year, we usually have very good relationships because I've been working closely with them and their children the whole year. We work with the families as well. But um, I like that aspect of my job because I feel like I'm reaching out to a community that's more likely to be ignorant against Muslims. And by them interacting with me and seeing that, you know, I'm totally 
just living my life and my husband's a normal person and you know he comes and volunteers and they kind of because your husband is muslim as well yeah they kind of see that oh well this is just they're just just being in she's a teacher being like themselves. nothing's yeah. weird she drinks starbucks every day she has a caffeine problem <laughs> you know like nothing nothing weird and the kids you know see me every day and they're curious about my hijab and they've accepted it as normal and they see me acting normal you know for kids they're very simplistic in how they act with others and become friends and love each other and it's just like if you're nice to me I'm nice to you The last part of our show today is dedicated to an amazing story that's written and performed by one of our favorites, Miss Abby. You'll recall that Abby has been heard on the show twice before, once on our episode about upstanders and upstanding, and then again on an episode where we explored feminism and religion and where Abby herself told us all about her life and her journey to Islam. If you haven't heard either of those episodes, let Abby's performance inspire you to give them a listen. Trust me, you are going to want to hear more from her after this. So, without further delay, here is Abby with a true story that she originally wrote and performed live for the Ivy Tech storytelling series on race, but which she kindly consented to re-record for us in studio here. Obviously, growing up in the white Midwest did not fully prepare me to understand the struggle that is felt by people labeled as other. My only real understanding of how hateful people can be to people they label different was growing up the fat kid. In the end, I was still white. I could go to a store or travel or get pulled over by the police without much fear. I was 19 before I even knew what police brutality was. I have been immersed in a society that says things like, Why can't they just learn English? Why do I have to press one for English? I worked at a local medical supply factory on the production floor. We had a large group of Filipino women working there. And of course, being severed from their home and language, relished being in the company of other Filipinas. They spoke Cebu and Tagalog and shared Filipino food at lunch. Most were married to American men, and I imagine at the time, they were starved for their native languages. Being at work was a place where they could communicate without lurching to grasp a word or have someone misconstrue their pronunciation. I found them welcoming and ready to share their food and language with non-Filipinas. I was walking with another employee named Lori, and she said something along the lines of how the management should ban them from speaking Tagalog. Because they might be talking about us. Us as in all the white people. I had made pretty good friends with a few of the Filipino ladies, and they had taught me some phrases and words in Tagalog. I was often invited to karaoke parties, shared their food. I was a little gobsmacked, but managed to tell this lady, if you don't understand them, then why does it matter? Fast forward a few years, I'm married to a Jordanian man, and the same co-worker said he was a terrorist. I wasn't Muslim when I married him, but I began to study Islam to better understand living with a Muslim, and I fell in love with Islam. 
and my husband. I was so moved by Islam, and I eventually said my declaration of faith. Ashaduan la ilaha illallah, Ashaduan Muhammad Rasulullah. I bear witness that there is only one God. I bear witness that Muhammad is the messenger of Allah. To me, this did not conflict with my Christian upbringing. There is one God. We all worship him. Jesus was a prophet of Islam and is considered the one who will return to earth to bring the day of judgment. Pretty much what every evangelical preacher says every Sunday morning. In my acceptance of Islam, the hijab became a very important aspect of my belief. I know everyone is leaning forward thinking, oh, do tell. But this isn't about hijab. That is another speech. I began to cover my hair every day, and I knew when I put it on, it would put a spotlight on me. I was prepared for people to be confused, maybe even scared. But what surprised me was the anger and the assumption that I was foreign. My whiteness was always in question, and that was simultaneously hilarious and disconcerting from this French white lady that could get a sunburn on a cloudy day. Whiteness is not actually about skin color. It is about power, making others feel like they are not normal. White Christian society is normal, and anything else is labeled as other. I now have this visible sign that shows what's going on in my brain, and it makes white people feel like they have rights to my experiences. Can I ask you a question? Is one of the most annoying things a Muslim convert can hear. It is normally associated with the swirling of a finger around their face to indicate that they want to know about my hijab. I usually want to scream, it's none of your damn business, Google it. I usually smile and nod and act like an ambassador for the Muslim faith. Now that I am no longer fully white due to this piece of cloth on my head, I get asked things like, and yes, this is an actual real experience, so where do you come from? Bloomington. I mean, where were you born? At Bloomington Hospital. No, I mean, where is your family from? Green County. Very brusque now. I mean, what is your religion? I am Muslim. I am not just limited to stupid conversations of people who now feel like they have a right to my experiences no matter how little they know me. I have people very often try to make me feel uncomfortable in the space that I occupy. I once had an elderly woman dressed in head-to-toe flag wear stare me down so aggressively with a mean mug she completely ran into a display case at Walmart with her cart. And yes, I did laugh hysterically. Last week, a family sitting next to us at a Chinese buffet started making comments about Muslims. When I go to parks with my kids, people want to give me evil looks and on occasion not let their kids play with mine. Now my husband and kids are also white. Yes, there is a racial hierarchy in other countries too. My husband is always addressed and treated just like a white dude with an accent. And then I show up in my headscarf and suddenly it hits people like a ton of bricks that he is not one of them. My son is often exposed to racist and anti-Muslim speech at school by friends that have no idea he's Arab. The thing is, I am still a white American. I was raised to believe that I have a place in this society and it is rightfully mine. Imagine being a refugee or an immigrant to this country. You maybe don't know the language well, you don't get the culture yet, and you really are an outsider. Have you ever been insulted in your non-native language? You aren't really sure if you have the vocabulary to insult them back, and then there's always the fear that you heard them wrong. 
I was wandering the mall one night with my husband, and for some reason there was were a lot of Gulf Muslims in the mall that night, and a gang of teenagers, and I mean like a big group, not actual gang affiliation, were wandering around calling them raghead and terrorist. Then they got to me and my husband. They assumed we were foreigners, and when they shouted insults at us, I shouted at them to move on. I had the power to do that, but imagine the people who don't feel that power. They leave a park or a restaurant or a movie theater because they feel like an outsider, and they think no one will stand up for them. They don't even feel like they can stand up for themselves. This little piece of fabric has made me an outsider in a place I have lived my entire life. Now assume you have a language, race, culture, or religion to separate you. Hijabi Diaries is produced by me, Aubrey Cedar, with help from WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Anna Mighty is our co-producer. The Hijabi Diaries is a production of the open-hearted campaign to end Islamophobia and is supported by our friends at the Islamic Center of Bloomington, Indiana. Our theme music is by Baraka Blue. To learn more and to access more episodes of the Hijabi Diaries, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, on Stitcher, and visit our website at www.hijabidiaries.com. Thanks to Autumn for sharing her thoughts with us today, to Abby for her brilliance, and as always, thanks to you for listening. May your lovers be loyal, may your soil be fertile, may your khaki stay crease, may your locks stay oil, may your plans never get foiled, may your plot thicken, may your chicken be halal, may your style be sufficient, may your soul be free of its prison, may Allah increase you in your vision, may you find everything you've been missing. 
May you awake for prayer before the sun has risen. When you speak, may your audience listen. May you never feel trapped in the system. May you sire many righteous children who will act on prophetic tradition. May you always have food on your plate. May you learn from every mistake. May you rise above all the hate. And may Allah increase you in your state. May you never pretend that you are what you ain't. May your friends be real and never be fake. May your rent never have to be late. And may your health always be great. May Allah forgive every sin. Now and forever if you falter again. And may you always stay close with your kin. And may he make all your enemies friends. May he make reality of your plans. May your present be pleasant. May you have a good end. May your heart be purified of its flaws. And may you act according to the laws that were revealed in the book of the law. And may he catch you whenever you fall. May the one guide you to the truth. And when you doubt, may he show you the proof. May you be like the Ahala Suf. With the wisdom of the elders, the energy of the youth. May he accept your prayers and your fast. The very first, all the way to the last. And remove obstacles that you have. And may you receive everything that you ask. May you never have regret for your past.